0: Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day and the worship, the coming to the Lord's table. We thank you for the Word of God. And pray now that by your Holy Spirit you would take the Word of God and make application to our lives. Lord, we are people who need to hear from you. So speak in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a man named Richard Swinson who's a physician and also a futurologist. He looks at trends, coming trends. What's happened in the past, and he makes predictions, and he's published this graph. I think it was up there. It's, it's called his. He calls this his profusion graph, and it's an, it's an overstated. But he says from 3000 BC until today, that the knowledge bumped along fairly well with a little bit of an incline until he says 50 years ago, and then we did what we call the hockey stick approach to information. We just went off the charts. And he said that that, that because of the information overload, that we're just engulfed in endless facts and minutia. For example, the average grocery store has 40,000 items in it. Every year in Great Britain and America, 400,000 books are published. If you go to a major university in America now, there are 500 different Baccalaureate undergraduate degrees you can go through. 500. That the average office worker changes every three minutes to a different subject. And because of this information overload, he says, there is a sense of being overwhelmed. One third of Americans say that they are extremely on the edge of being stressed. Uh, So, information overload. We have so many things to look at. For example, just life can be metaphorical. Um, I like to grocery shop when I have to do so at a small grocery store. I won't tell you the name because I don't want this to be a free advertisement, where people wear Hawaiian shirts with their names on their tag. And they walk, they, they prowl the aisles and they will ask you, can I help you? Which is a great thing to ask a man who's shopping. Because I can never find anything. But I can go, if my wife says, go to this place that remains nameless with Hawaiian shirted guys and name tags. Go to this place and get these items. I, I can do it. I can do it. Conversely, if she ever, well, if she asked me to go to a super Walmart, I, I, I just refuse. Uh, so I can't do it. So you go to a super Walmart, you know, the, again, they're wearing the blue vest, and you say to them, I'm looking for some tortilla chips. Where are the tortilla chips, sir? The tortilla chips are on aisles three, four, and five. Three aisles of chips. Well, we have lime chips, lemon chips, white chips, yellow chips, chips that go with bean dip, chips that go with, go with well, when your team beats Oklahoma 40 to 6, chips, chips for whatever. But there, there are all these chips that are out there for you to get. And you say, where do you go? So, if my wife asked me to do that, I said, I can't do it because if I go to, to Super Walmart, the piece of Christ that passes understanding will leave my body. <laughs> and two hours later, I will be somewhere in the far corner, which is in Walterboro. It's just, it's just in the middle of nowhere. Profusion, inundated with facts. In Luke chapter 10, Christ is at the home of two sisters named Martha and Mary, and we hear these words from the Gospel of Luke. Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So, so I spoke last week, We think thought about Christmas, John chapter 1, the life of John the Baptist. And I suggested last week that John the Baptist had a radical simplicity. There was a radical simplicity in his life that made him effective because he was zeroed in on this message, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He must increase, but I must decrease. And I'll suggest the same thing for us today, that while there are multiple issues to learn and to know, and the information highway is expansive and never-ending, there are certain things we must have placarded before our mind and our eyes if we're to be the people God has called us to be. Our purpose statement as a church is this is equipping people to pursue Christ passionately to impact the culture. So we need to be equipped with certain truths that will drive us to be passionate, that will compel us to serve our culture. And I'm going to go this morning to a statement in the book of Zechariah, which is the next to the last book of the Old Testament, that holds before our eyes certain facts that we must continuously rehearse in our mind if we're to be the people God has called us to be. So Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 through 10 is the text. The book of Zechariah is written to the people of God who are coming back from the Babylonian captivity after 70 or 80 years. Uh, The former glory is gone. They're trying to rebuild the temple. They're trying to survive, and it's tough. And so Zechariah is writing to encourage the people of God to be strong and to go forward. And he writes in the beginning of the book of 14 chapters, he, he has eight visions, eight visions. And this is the fourth vision that he gives to the people of God regarding Joshua the high priest and being cleansed. So hear the word of the Lord. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing there before the angel clothed with filthy garments And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken away your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, thus says the Lord of hosts. If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch." For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. And that day declares the Lord of hosts. Every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. So so three facts I want to rehearse with you today. First of all, the removal of our sin and our adoption into the family by the work of Messiah King, the branch who was to come. Secondly, our corresponding responsibility as we live out of gratitude. And thirdly, our heritage as children of God. So, so first of all, I must understand that I am freely forgiven and embraced by the work of my Messiah. So, so in this vision, Satan is accusing Joshua, who represents the people of God, and, and, and he, he accuses him. He says, look. And what's interesting is the Bible says this. It says that, now Joshua was standing before the Lord clothed with filthy rags. He's guilty. He's guilty. He's, he's, he's clothed with, with filthy rags. So he, he's accused. Now, here's my question. Where do you go when the accuser of the brethren, Satan, accuses you? Satan accuses us. Now, here's the way Satan accuses me and he does not accuse me. So, so if, if I hear a voice saying, you are condemned, you're not the man you should be because you are training young people to be jihadists and to strap bombs to their body and to blow up innocent children in a school, I'll say, well, I'm not doing that. Or you are accused because you're involved in the trafficking of women across international boundaries for the purpose of sexual slavery. I'm not doing that. But here's how he accuses me. You're lazy. You're a father, and the Bible says that you should encourage your children in the way of the Lord to build them up in the Lord. Have you done that recently? No. You're a husband. The Bible says husbands love your wives like Jesus loves the church. Everything you do to your wife is shot through with selfishness, guilty. You're a friend, but so often you look at your friends and say, how can they serve me without ever asking, how can I serve them? Guilty. So what do you do? See, all those things are filthy rags. What do you do? You run to the cross. You glory in the cross, and you say, Lord, Zechariah 4, 6, by your Holy Spirit, change me. Renew me. Guilty. Guilty is charged. So that's, what, that's what happened here. So there's, you're accused. You have filthy rags. What do you say? I love this. You're a brand plucked from the fire. This is one of John Wesley's favorite phrases. He says, I am a brand plucked from the burning, which is the old translation. A brand taken out. God has taken me out. When I was dead in transgressions and sins, when I had no eyes to see truth, God gave me eyes. God gave me a heart to hear. God gave me ears to listen. I'm a brand plucked from the burning. And not only that, but, but He has he he removed my filthy garments. It says here that I, I will strip him, I, I will strip Joshua of his filthy garments. And he said to the angel standing before them, Remove the filthy garments from him. But see, not only, not only does he remove them, he clothes us. You see, it's one thing to say your sins are forgiven. Now go forward. But it's another thing to say not only are your sins forgiven, but you're fully clothed with pure vestments. You're a bland brand plucked from the fire. One of the Confessions of Westminster says this, They were saved not by infusing righteousness slowly, 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 but by pardoning their sins. Boom, you're forgiven. And by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone. So hear me, not only are the the clothes stripped, but you're given new vestments. You're embraced you're adopted into the family of God. So I've, I've got to rehearse the glory of the gospel. And, and how, how is this done? It's done by the coming reality of the righteous Messiah King. It says this, I will bring my servant the branch, verse 8, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day, In a single day, by one act upon the cross, Christ bore the sins of his people forever and ever upon himself. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And if I am to be the man God has called me to be, that must be placarded before my eyes. Behold, the greatness of Christ. Behold, filthy, but I've been stripped of my filth. I've been clothed in his righteousness. I am a brand-plucked, from the fire. What I deserved, Jesus did for me. Judgment. What I could never do for myself, he did for me. That, that, I've got to have that before myself. Secondly, then, is, is the, the corresponding reality of how I live before him. Let me say this. It's hard to get at a man or a woman who understands the grace of the cross. It's hard to get at them. Because they glory in the goodness of Christ. They run to the cross. They don't stand around justifying themselves. So, yeah, it's true. And you don't know the half of it. Oh, okay. I mean, Anyway, okay. So, so and then he says this. I'm to, I'm to walk as a new man. He says this. Uh, Thus says the Lord of hosts, verse 7, If you walk... In my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge in my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. In in other words, once you get filthiness stripped off, clean clothes put on, brand plucked from the fire, once you get that, there's a sense of walking before the Lord. Now, again, older confession of faith. It says, we're saved by faith alone. It says, yet it is not alone in the person justified, but it works by love. Good works, then in obedience to God's commandments are the fruits and evidences of a true and lively faith. You have to, get this, you have to really think about this frequently. We're saved by faith alone in the finished work of Christ alone, and that faith is a gift from God. We're a brand plucked from the burning. But the result of faith Is a life that wants to be obedient unto the Lord. Out of a sense of joyful thanksgiving, you want to be obedient unto the Lord. Um, Throughout the Bible, you've got behold the glory of God, the Father, God, the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Behold what God has done for you. Now live this way. Behold, now live. Behold, now live. So often, though, I fear when it comes to our children, we're praying this week for middle school, high school, and our college students, especially. When it comes to our children, so often we want to stand over them like a beat cop with a, a, a club. And we say, if you do this, boom. If you do this, boom. My, my problem is that's not the scripture. That's not the way of the Lord. God says, behold the greatness of Christ. Now live this way. For example, the book of Romans, first 11 chapters, behold the wonder of the cross of Jesus. Behold the wonder of all that God is for us in the person of Christ and applied to us by the Holy Spirit. And then chapter 12. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, by the tender mercies of God, to deliver your bodies up to the living God, which is your spiritual sacrifice of worship, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. You see, it's behold and then do. Here in the book of Zechariah, he begins this vision of behold the greatness of Christ. Now walk that way. He does it again in Zechariah chapter 8 when he says this. Verse 14, he says, For, for thus says the Lord of hosts, as, as I purposed to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath. God said, There was a time when I said, Enough. You went into captivity, you were conquered by the Babylonians. I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts. So again, Have I purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah? Do not fear. I'm going to do you good. And he says this. These are the things you shall do Out of thanksgiving. He says, speak the truth to one another and render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another and love no false oath for all these things I hate, declares the Lord. So you see, he says, Behold the goodness, now do this. There's a little, little book by a guy named Thomas Chalmers. And I read this all the time, oh, at least once or twice a year. It's just it's a short book. It's a book you have to think hard through. It's called The Explosive Power of the New Affection. And let me just read a couple of comments. This was written in the 1740s. It says this. It is only when, as in the gospel, acceptance is bestowed as a present without money and without price, that the security which man feels in God is placed beyond the reach of disturbance. He said, it is only when we understand that our salvation is a gift that cannot be purchased, that's not passed on by by genetic heritage, it's not given to us by work, it's it's a gift, it's only when that is understood, that the peace of God is in our hearts and it cannot be disturbed. Then he says later. Never does a sinner find within himself so mighty a moral transformation as when under the belief that he is saved, he feels constrained or compelled thereby to offer his heart a devoted thing and to deny ungodliness. He he says, once you get hold of the gospel and you see the glory of Christ, you feel constrained. He says, third, we, we know of no other way by which to keep the love of the world out of our heart than to keep our hearts in the love of God in Christ, and no other way by which to keep our hearts in the love of God than by building ourselves up in the most holy faith found in the gospel. I, I, I've got to understand my corresponding responsibility, and, that, and that's why in Zechariah chapter 9 he, he says regarding the coming Messiah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. He is humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a colt. Christ coming in Jerusalem. And he says this, On that day the Lord their God will save them as the flock of his people, for like the jewels of a crown they shall shine on his land, for how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. He says, "Behold the beauty and the goodness of God." We would say, "Shine in the face of Jesus." So, this is a great time of the year. I love NFL playoffs. Uh, about two weeks ago, my wife said to me, "You've watched absolutely little football this year." And I said, "I'm going to cash in all my chips in the next five weeks. Just, just hang in there." So one of my teams that I do like a lot has a quarterback that I've enjoyed watching the last few years. He's an outstanding athlete. He doesn't, he's not a showboat. He does his job. He supports his team. He doesn't call attention to himself and he just throws daggers. And I read about three years ago I was doing some research uh, reading ESPN taking a break from doing Greek verb parsing and, and I was looking at ESPN and uh uh, biographical sketch: This guy's an outspoken Christian. He says I do it in a quiet way, but he, he gives to evangelical causes. He's involved in the evangelical church. Uh, and I thought, wow. So that made me like him even more. Then about two months ago, I was doing some research, looking in he's dating the movie actress. I'd never heard of her before, but she's an actress, and um, she was on a late night show. And on this late-night show on one of the networks that I don't see because I never stay up that late, um, I, I'm just not a late-night person. Somebody said, did you see the New Year in?" I said, no. <laughs> I haven't seen the New Year in since I was 19 years old, you know. So, so anyway, this, this actress says this. She says, you know, name's this quarterback that you would know when he will remain nameless. Uh, we never have sex on game day. They're not married. And I just went, oh. And there was a, it was a verbatim quote, so. I, I just thought, you know, what, 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 I'm going to write him a letter, okay? You can ask me next week, have you written a letter? So, so if I were the elder, one of his elders, or his pastor, or his community group leader, or his mentor, what, what would I say to him? This is what I'd say to him. Behold the beauty of Christ. You've been bought with a price. You're to honor God with your body. You're to walk in obedience as a child of God. Man, come on. Come on. Honor the Lord. The Bible's unmistakably clear. Let the marriage bed be undefiled. Sex is for marriage between a man and a woman. Can't get around it. Seventh Commandment's pretty clear. Please, I plead with you. Behold, now do. Do. That's what you say to each other. Behold, now do. You're new people in Jesus. And then the third thing is our, our, our heritage. I love this. In, in verse 10, it says this, that in that day, when, when the day the Messiah comes, the, the branch comes, and in that day declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? Come under my vine and my fig tree. It means there's a fullness, there's a gospel blessing that comes with, with understanding the greatness of Messiah King. There's a wonderful book uh, titled Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, and he talks about shalom. He says the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in fulfillment and delight is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom and what we call peace. Peace is not the mere absence of conflict. It is is a universal, flourishing wholeness and delight that is ours in Christ. And I I look at this and I say, Lord, by your grace and for your glory, because of the reality of the Christ who is resurrected and reigning and has poured out the Holy Spirit, may your shalom come upon your people. May, may, May we sit with fullness and delight, not perfect, not complete yet, not without sin, but may we taste the foretaste of the coming glory in our walk with the Lord. And I charge you, I plead with you, and I ask you to pray for me. Don't settle for second best. For those of us who have been married for a while, don't settle for a run-of-the-mill marriage that isn't full of tenderness and confession and compassion and embrace. Don't settle for an anemic, some type of Stand off with your kids. Embrace them. Don't settle for relationships that are distant and and uncaring. Don't don't settle for a testimony that's not vibrant. This is is an amazing statement. Chapter 8, Zechariah. It says, "When, when, when the watching world sees what's happening, this is what's going to happen. It says this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men, From the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew saying, let us go with you for we have heard that God is with you. (laughs) Let us live in such a way that our co-workers and our neighbors see there is a distinctive difference in our lives in the way we treat people with dignity who are made in the image of God. Don't, Don't settle. We have something here on Friday morning called Man to Man. It's a group of gathering of men, two hundred or so men, and uh, we have men that come here and uh, before four o'clock and they cook for these guys a team of eight to twelve men, and uh, a couple of high school guys do it and it you you walk in and you smell coffee and bacon and eggs and hash browns and it is a joy and the, the the table, that's really not a good representation. The table is much more than that. They have eggs, bacon, hash browns, grits, oatmeal, uh, fruit, uh, coffee, juice, milk. Um, for some of you, we'll bring cottage cheese this week. Cottage cheese, uh, low-fat yogurt, uh, bran. Anyway, but, but it, it, it really, it, you come in and you just go, oh, the smell just envelops you, and you go in there, and it's spread. Now, about five years ago, four or five years ago, before we had the 14-man crew, we only had six or seven, five guys that did it every week, and if a couple of guys were sick or couldn't make it, or three guys, which happened rarely, then, then this is what we had instead. <laughs> I hate donuts. I mean, I despise donuts, but I mean, even if you're a donut aficionado, and your middle name is Duncan, Okay you have to admit that donuts are a poor substitute for ham and eggs and bacon and grits and hash browns and and biscuits (laughs) right i mean can we agree on that okay Uh, so so, sometimes i fear i'm talking to jesus followers i fear that we settle for donuts when god says here's a banquet table don't settle. Don't settle. Glory in the greatness of Christ. and Understand the absolute joy of the cross. Understand the privileged response to that. And understand your heritage. I pray this year will be a great year. That God will be honored in our lives. That we'll see the generations built. That we'll have a vision for our city and our world we say, God, use me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the, the prophecy of Zechariah regarding the coming branch, the Messiah King. And we thank you that because of the coming branch, Messiah King, that the Old Testament believer had a sacrificial system that foresignified what you would do. And based upon that uh, Reality, Lord, we, we, we say with Zechariah that we are a brand plucked from the fire. We say with Zechariah of old that our, our sins have been, our filthy garments are stripped from us. And not only are we stripped of filthy garments, but we're clothed in pure vestments. And because of that, Lord, we, we are compelled, we'll be compelled by the Spirit to be your people and to rejoice in our heritage. So let us be earnest and serious and zealous, and may we be your people, God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.